Freck family, it is so good to be back with you. I love these combined services. I wish we could do them every week. Then they wouldn't exactly be combined services, would they? Well, on this day when East and West is, uh, has come together again, there's part of me that wishes that we could dive into uh, something that's more visionary uh, for the church in, in a sense and, and getting back to fill the city and that kind of stuff. But as the elders have been talking about this series that we're doing called Understanding the Times, it's just too important for us to deviate from because there's a lot going on that we need to be thinking about and as a church be equipped for. So we're going to continue the series today. Uh, maybe down the road we'll have another combined service and we'll, we'll talk about some other things. Uh, I need to set my timer here because if I go over time, somebody will yell at me and, uh, and then we will not get to the family meeting like we're supposed to and then somebody else will yell at me and then, all right, I got it, we're going, I think. Oh no, it's not going, hang on, just everybody, just hold, hold, hold there for a second. I don't know how this thing works. I could give you a timer, but all right, there we go. Now I, have, I know how much time I have. So today we're going to continue our series called Understanding the Times, and again, I mentioned the elders have been talking about this and the importance of these topics, and I, I want to draw from something in the scripture to amplify how important it is that we as Christians are aware of what is going on in the world and that we're thinking well about it. Indeed, as, as pastors and teachers, our job is to contend for the faith and to expose error and protect the sheep from errors that want to lead us astray. But all of us have a responsibility to know truth and to be aware of philosophies that would want to move us away from the centrality of Christ. So I want to draw your attention to Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, where Paul says this to the Colossians. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Now, think about the imagery here that Paul uses. Walk in Christ Jesus the Lord. And we're familiar with that terminology, walking, walk in the spirit, our daily walk. We use those terms all the time. But think about why Paul would have chosen this word walk. How did you get here this morning? You didn't walk, most of you. There might be a couple of you that did. But the vast majority of you, yeah, there's two in the back that did walk. The rest of you drove. But in Paul's day, the way you got anywhere was by walking. You walked to people's homes for worship. You walked to the temple if you're going to worship in the temple. You walked to a place where you might get some food. You walked to interact. Everything you did in life required you to walk somewhere. If Paul were writing today, he might say, just as you've received Christ Jesus and Lord, so drive in him, or text in him, or post in him, or Instagram in him, or Facebook in him, or FaceTime in him. It's how they connected with the world was walking. Well, we don't connect much by walking. We have to intentionally go on walks. The rest of our interaction is some other way. The point Paul is making is, you don't just live for Christ in your quiet time sipping a cup of coffee in the morning. 
That's sipping in him. Paul says walk in him. As you go about life in work or at work, in school, talking to your neighbors, reading, social media-ing, everything you're doing, you do so as someone serving the Lord Jesus Christ. It must impact every aspect of our lives. It's not just about what we do here on Sunday morning or in our quiet times. Then he goes on and says, you having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him that is in Christ. So you've been rooted like a plant that's, that's taken root in the ground and established in your faith. And as he's switching metaphors, you're being built up into this building just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Here's the command, and this is for all of us. See to it. The Greek is an emphatic, watch out, look. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men. According to the elementary principles of the world rather than according to Christ. Paul is saying there are traditions handed down by humans. There are traditions that are bound up in man's thinking. Elementary principles that are contrary to Christ. And he gives the church this warning, indeed this imperative, this command. Do not allow yourselves to be taken captive by these philosophies. If he were writing in our day, he would use words like worldview. Do not let non-Christian worldviews take you captive. Do not let ideologies of man take you captive. Do not let any of the isms that are being taught in schools, that are being perpetuated in media and out there, don't let them captivate you. You hold fast to the teachings of Jesus Christ. So as a church, we have to be aware of what's going on out there and interact with it. And as we talked about last week, we are to take them captive. We are not to be captivated by them. We are to take them captive to the truth of Jesus Christ. And so we're talking about these things. And I want to remind you, this, this being involved with what's happening out in the world, this is not unique or novel to our day. Think about the New Testament epistles. Think of Paul's letter to the Corinthians, what we call 1 Corinthians. The first several chapters, Paul is concerned that people are buying into the wisdom of man and creating factions in the church. They're dividing the church because of the teachings of men. And he says, no, 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 we focus on Christ and we have our unity in Christ. But then starting at chapter 7, do you remember how chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians begins? Anybody? I don't know if you at East ever talk back to the pastor, but here at West, we talk back to the pastor. What is, how does 1 Corinthians 7 begin? Anybody? Okay, I'll tell you. Now concerning the things about which you wrote me. So Paul spends the rest of 1 Corinthians answering questions that the church had sent to him. The very first question is, should a husband abstain sexually from his wife. 
That was a teaching out in the world, in the culture that had crept into the church. And they asked him, What's the, what, what do we do with this? Paul says, absolutely not. You're just leading to temptation if you abstain from each other. And he talks more about being married, talks about being single in this world. A little bit later on, he deals with this question where somebody's saying, you know, I go to Walmart and I see this meat on sale, but I read the fine print and it says this meat was taken from animals that were offered to a false god. Is it okay for me to buy this meat at Walmart that's on sale? Walmart's not actually in the Bible, kids. I'm just making that up. Is it okay for me to eat this meat that's on sale if it was used in a pagan ceremony? That's what the world is doing. And Paul addresses whether or not it's okay. And he says, yes, it's fine. Eat the meat if you want to. In chapter 15, Paul interacts with a very serious error that's out in the world that has come into the church. You Christians are crazy. Dead people stay dead. And you believe in a man who came back from the dead? You're nuts. And that teaching was creeping into the church. And he addresses it, and he uses very, very harsh language. He calls people who believe that fools. He said, we're not messing around here. I'm not just going to casually say, you know, it's not a good idea to deny the resurrection. He is in their face. They are foolish and teaching foolish things. Don't believe it. Jesus rose again. If he didn't, your hope is in vain. The songs we just sang, we're waiting for our resurrected Lord to come back. We believe it. We proclaim it. We said it in the Apostles' Creed. It's true. And there's a world out there that wants to tell us, no, you guys are crazy. We say, no, you're crazy. It's real. And it's right. So the New Testament is written to explain the truth of Jesus Christ in the context of a world that disagrees. Well, that's what we're doing in this series, is we're helping us to think through, think biblically and Christianly about the worldviews that are trying to shut us down and tell us we're crazy. And the, the word that we're using to kind of describe what we've been teaching against is cultural Marxism. Uh, and that includes all the other things, critical theory and identity politics and political speech, all those things. And we're saying that's the worldview that is anti-Christian, that is, that is coming into the church. And we as elders are concerned that you know the truth, that you boldly proclaim the truth in contrast to these errors, and that we don't get taken captive by the lies and deceits of the world. It's a big deal. And it is infiltrating the church. And we would be naive to think it couldn't impact Front Range Alliance Church. So we're teaching on these things. Now here's the question. Why, if you go back and if you read the documents and, and follow some of the things that Derek and I talked about last week and that Dan's talked about as well in previous weeks, if you read these, these ideologies, it is so patently opposed to Christ. You don't have to dig in very far to see it. It's just not consistent with biblical teaching. So why do we as Christians fall for it sometimes? And here's the reason. Cultural Marxism presents itself as an ideology that cares about justice and suffering. We as Christians 
It's part of our DNA that we care about justice and suffering. How can we not? We serve the suffering servant. We serve the one who knew that we were unjust and we were enslaved to sin and that we were impoverished spiritually and he came and died on the cross to release us of all of those things. How can we then turn to the poor and suffering and the injustice of the world, turn a blind eye to that and say, well, I don't care about that. We have to. Jesus told us, blessed are the poor in spirit. It has motivated Christians from the very beginning to care for the poor and the downtrodden. Remember back to the early church, Acts 2 and 3 and 4? This was the original, can I say this? Christian communism. I shouldn't use that word, should I? This is the, people would sell their property and bring money to the apostles and say, use this to help anybody who's in need. Why would they do that? Because Christians care about suffering and care about injustice. We always have orphanages, the abolition of, sla abolition of slavery, all this. We could go on and on with Christians doing good for those who are suffering. And so when an ideology comes along and says, hey, we're against injustice and suffering, it's easy for Christians to say, oh, I I'm on board, let's do this. In high school, back in St. Louis, where I'm from, uh, I had a, a, a friend, he was an older, older than me, about six years older than me, a, a gentleman who came to me one day and says, hey, Doug, you play sports, right? I said, yeah, I play baseball and football and I even wrestled one year. He said, great, I want you to be a basketball coach. Uh, I said, well, football, baseball, I don't know basketball. He said, okay, you can do it. Come on down. For the next several years, every Saturday morning, I would drive to the inner city of St. Louis and I would pick up my little brother and I would take him to the, uh, the local gym and I would coach him and his teammates for an hour and then I was the referee for a game for an hour and then I would take him out to get something to eat and then I would take him home and spend some time with him. It was a, a ministry called Cornerstone Ministries and this was uh, sort of a, you're probably familiar with the big brother kinds of programs. This is what, that was at least the role that I played. This Cornerstone Ministry, uh, we didn't have any money and I, I almost shouldn't say we, I mean I did on my part but there was several people that devoted every spare moment to this ministry. I just drove in on Saturdays but these people spent Day in and day out, when they weren't working job to make money, they were at, in these inner city neighborhoods caring for uh, these families. And the whole point was, these men who started this ministry saw the downtrodden and the suffering and the injustice going on in the inner city of St. Louis, and they said, we got to do something about this. And so they set up the Big Brother program where this boy, my particular little brother, I never met his dad, I don't think he did either. His mom was almost never around when I was at his house, house if you could call it that. And he had very little male influence. And so I was there to teach him something about basketball, to create a, 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 a fun time with the, the, the basketball games, but then take him out to get him some food and, and talk about life and fill at least a little bit of the dad role. And most importantly, to teach him about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
And this ministry did food drives and clothing drives. I, I came from a very poor family. All of my clothes were hand-me-downs from my cousin. But I gave some to my little brother and to these others. You know, they were getting hand-me-downs of hand-me-downs because that's what we could do is, is pull together. And, and these people spent years of their lives and, and devoted time and money and sacrificially to try to make things better in downtown St. Louis. Now, if you know anything about crime rates in America, you know that St. Louis always ranks near the top of the most dangerous cities in the U.S., I was naive to most of that. If I knew then what I know now, it would have been a little bit scarier on my hour drive every Sunday, I mean every Saturday morning into St. Louis. But I didn't know. I just went and played basketball and had fun with this, this little boy. Why would all of these people devote so much time, money, effort to these inner city families? Because to them, to the people who started Cornerstone Ministry, black lives really did matter. They were almost all black in inner city St. Louis, and they still are. And these men, mostly white men and women, cared about these poor families in inner city St. Louis. Now I say that in contrast to the lies that are being perpetuated by a group that has taken that phrase, black lives matter, and they've turned it into something that doesn't care about black lives at all. And we have to know this because it's all over our nation. I wanna walk you through some of the things taken directly from the Black Lives Matter uh, website. And we as Christians need to make sure we are not taken captive by these lies. Here's Here's what it looks like. What do I do, Abby? Help. Put, put the website up. Oh, I can't see it. <laughs> Why didn't somebody tell me? All right. <laughs> Am I not going to be able to see it? Okay. So Black Lives Matter, this is, this is a screenshot of the website itself. I want to focus in on a little bit. So the, the hashtag Black Lives Matter was founded in 2013 in response to the acquittal of Trayvon Martin's murderer. Now don't read the rest of it yet, just, just camp on that for a minute. Most of you probably remember this story back in 2012. A black man named Trayvon Martin was killed by a white man named George, George Zimmerman in Florida. BLM has taken that and noticed the phrasing, the acquittal of Martin's murderer. So George Zimmerman is the one who did take the life of Trayvon Martin. Zimmerman was subject to the justice process, the judicial process, the court systems. He was, he was evaluated and found not guilty, or at least there wasn't evidence to charge him of crime. This wasn't just the local court systems. There's a man by the name of Eric Holder. You know who he is? Remember who he is? He, is, uh, he was the attorney general of the first black president, Barack Obama, and Eric Holder himself is a black man. So the attorney general of the United States of America 
investigated this and brought all the powers at his disposal to see if there was wrongdoing done, or at least to see if they could prove wrongdoing was done. And his conclusion was that there was no evidence, at least not enough evidence, to incriminate him, to, to, to charge him, I should say. So the, the legal system, the court system, acquitted George Zimmerman. The three women who are the founders of Black Lives Matter say this in their about page, this was founded in response to the acquittal of Trayvon Martin's murderer. Now, if they said his killer, they would have been factually correct. Zimmerman did take the life up. He did kill. But murder is a crime. So you realize what they're doing here. They're saying we do not believe the judicial process but from wherever they are across the nation, they have the ability to determine that Martin was indeed murdered. They didn't like the outcome. They decided that injustice had to have been done, and so they start this whole movement called Black Lives Matter from miles and miles and miles away. They go on. Black Lives Matter Foundation is a global organization in the U.S., the U.K., and Canada. If you remember here at West, at least we talked last week about how the, uh, the, the Marxist is trying to destroy nationalities. It's a global movement, global overturning of the ruling class. Uh, two of the three founders of Black Lives Matter admit they are trained Marxists. They, they say it. You, you go find the, the videos on YouTube. So they're trying to create this, or they have created this global organization whose mission is to eradicate white supremacy and build local power to intervene in violence inflicted on black communities by the state and vigilantes. So they're not trying to help the poor black community they're after power. They're trying to build global power. Notice the word vigilante. You know what a vigilante is? It is someone who becomes a law to themselves. Or someone who takes law enforcement, if you will, upon themselves. That is exactly what BLM is doing right now in Portland, in Seattle, in cities all across the world. They are becoming a law to themselves and declaring themselves the police. They think they have the right to even create their own city in Seattle. Remember that? Chaz, Chop, whatever name they want to call themselves today. They are vigilantes, but they say they're opposed to vigilantes. By combating and countering acts of violence, creating space for black imagination and innovation, and centering black joy, we are winning immediate improvements in our lives. These people are pursuing their own power to benefit themselves. They're not trying to help suffering black people. In fact, I don't have the slide. Marcy sent me some slides yesterday. Very helpful. If you go to Black Lives Matter and you click on Donate, it takes you to a Democratic PAC, Political Action Committee. All the money is filtered through Act Blue. And if you look at all, the, the, all where the money went that is donated to Black Lives Matter, 
tens of millions of dollars sent to the leading Democrat candidates, not to poor people, not to the suffering, not to inner city, but to politi politicians and political parties. That's where the money's going. All right, I took some more uh, from their webpage. We build a space that affirms black women and is free from sexism. Do I need to read that again? We affirm black women and we're free from sexism. Misogyny. And environments in which men are centered. We're free of sexism, but we're for women and against men. I told you guys at West last week that Marxists see that rationality and logic is a, an instrument that Christian capitalists use to oppress the oppressed class. You see the inconsistency here? They don't, they don't care. They don't care. It's a power play. Man is bad, woman is good. Unless you're a man that supports BLM and then you're good. We make our spaces family friendly. That sounds nice. And enable parents to fully participate with their children. They're trying to raise up the next generation. We dismantle the patriarchal practice that requires mothers to do work, quote, double shifts so that they can mother in private even as they participate in public justice work. I don't know what that means, but they're clear that they are against the patriarchy. Patriarchy is a biblical concept and a biblical word. Again, we told you last week, these, these folks, the Marxists, are explicitly trying to destroy Western civilization because they see Western civilization as the outworking of Christian worldviews. And at the center of the Christian worldview is the headship of men. It really is. Men are the heads of the families. Men are the heads of the church. Patriarchy is just a word that means father ruling. BLM is opposed to that. Anything where men are in charge, they want to destroy. And especially in the home. Because they want to destroy the Christian worldview. We disrupt the Western prescribed. So the West is forcing this, is prescribing this. We disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family. Now I know sometimes in your house you think, yeah, we have a nuclear family. Right? There's, there's war going on here. It's not what they mean. They're not in trying to make peace among family members. What they mean is the nuclear family with father, wife, children, that's the nuclear family, and we want to disrupt that. We want to destroy husband and wives loving each other, parents ruling over their kids. Disrupt it, destroy it, get rid of it. By supporting each other as extended families, we're going to replace the nuclear family with one great big BLM family. And villages that collectively care for one another. We're going to take children away from their parents, at least from their fathers, and we're all together collectively going to raise them. 
to the degree that mothers, parents, and children are comfortable. You see what's left out of that? Dads. Don't care about dads. We care about moms. Parents, if it's two moms, which I'll show you in a minute, they're comfortable. We don't care about dads. Uh, I think I got these out of order, so I'm going to skip this one. We foster a queer-affirming network. These are Black Lives Matter. Sounds to me like they have other priorities. We foster a queer-affirming network. When we gather, we do so with the intention of freeing ourselves from the tight grip of heteronormative thinking. So if you believe that heterosexuality, men should be with women and not with other men or any other, if you think it's just supposed to be a man and woman sexually, you are gripping tightly the world with your heteronormative thinking. Or rather, the belief that all in the world are heterosexual. We affirm queer, the distortion, the perversion of this, and we want to get rid of heterosexuality. What in the world does that have to do with black lives? Nothing. It's all a sham. It's all a lie. Here's the last one. We embody and practice justice, liberation, and peace. Now notice where? in our engagements with one another. We want justice for everybody who's part of our group. And we want freedom, liberation for everyone who's in our group. We want peace for everyone who is in our group. But what happens if you oppose their agenda? They burn down your buildings. They steal your stuff and call it reparations. Call it justice. Do you remember the early videos coming out in Seattle when these BLM and what are called Antifa folks come marching through cities? And there, I'll never forget this one image. There is a black business owner, and they're burning down his business. And they're screaming at him, a black man. And he is crying out and weeping, saying, what are you doing? It took me my entire life to build up this building. And you guys have just come in and wiped it out in one afternoon. Apparently, that black life didn't matter a, a bit. Because he was a business owner. That's capitalism. That's white supremacy. This black man is part of white supremacy because he disagrees with their ideology. I don't know what that be is for. Church, we must have our thinking caps on as we observe what's going on. It sounds so good. Of course, black lives matter. If black lives don't matter to Christians, what are we doing? but the organization is demonic, trying to destroy 
Christianity and the Christian worldview. If we truly care about black lives, care about them. You know who Thomas Sowell is? If you don't know who Thomas Sowell is, you need to read Thomas Sowell. You need to get on YouTube and watch every interview you can. He's a 90-year-old black academic philosopher economist who was a Marxist until he saw the light. And he says, if white people want to help black people, eliminate the welfare state. What the government has done is subsidized and incentivized fatherless homes. All those families, the, the, the little brother that I had in St. Louis, why was dad not there? At least part of the reason, Sol would say, is because the government was paying mom to get pregnant without a dad in the home. He says, if you want to help black people, don't lower the educational standards, which is what has happened, and give them freedom of choice when it comes to schools. If there becomes competition in the inner city schools, that will raise the expertise of the teachers and free up money for the schools, and now they can get good educations. But when we bring down the requirements of the schools, Sol says, all you're doing is allowing these kids to remain ignorant of basic educational truths and teaching them you can't learn, which doesn't help them at all. Get dads back in the homes. Keep the nuclear family intact. Teach them better. Teach them to think for themselves so they can work them their way out of. I told you about all the money they went. So we were scraping together at Cornerstone enough money to do what we need to do. Millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars are being spent for these political action committees. What could true ministries that care about Black Lives Matter do with tens of millions of dollars? We could truly help them. Don't buy the lies. If you care about black lives, love black people. Make sure they know you care about them. You treat them, they're, they're just like you. We're, we're all humans. We're not gonna look down upon them. When real racism happens, we reject it. We're abhorred by it. We hate it. That's how we care about black people. And we say, hey, if you're in Christ, we're all brothers and sisters here. And we're in this together. And show them, again, I want to use the word communism. Communism is a bad word. But show them that we really do care and I will sell my stuff to help you out if that's what it takes. I will give hours of my Saturday. I mean, I was a teenage boy. The last thing I wanted to do on a Saturday morning was drive into inner city downtown St. Louis. I wanted to sleep. I wanted to play basketball without driving down. But the mission compelled me to go. BLM doesn't care about black lives. Don't believe the lie. Church, we must be aware of what's right and true and not get sucked in. And we need to make a difference. We need to teach and preach and speak up. We need to vote. And don't vote for people who are going to pursue this nonsense. 
Vote for people that really do care about the suffering and the poor and who really do care about justice and injustice as God defines it. I don't know about you, but it's easy to look at all the stuff going on and become very discouraged and depressed. We shouldn't be that either. The ruler of the entire world, the ruler of every nation, the ruler of the United States of America, the king before whom every Black Lives Matter advocate will bow before, and every American will bow before, and every human on the face of the earth, the king of all kings is Jesus Christ. And he's not ignorant of what's going on, and he hasn't lost his power. This is not the world going out of control and Jesus going, oh, what happened here? I turned my head for five minutes. It's not that. Jesus is reigning and ruling, and he expects his people to proclaim his truth and not be held captive by the lies and the deceits of empty philosophies. So church, we must serve Jesus, walk in him in the world. And Dan's creeping up here, must be telling me it's time to go. So I'm gonna go, and he's gonna pray for you.